Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week we're beginning a new book of the Bible. It's not actually a new book. It's been around a little while. But, uh, but you know, we just completed Genesis, and now we're heading into Exodus. And in Hebrew, it's Shemot. It means names. And it begins really almost where Genesis left off. It backs up a little bit into Genesis, back to when uh, Jacob is coming into Egypt. So let's start with Exodus 1, verse 1 through 14. And these are the names of the children of Israel who were coming to Egypt with Jacob. Each man and his household came, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the persons who emerged from Jacob's loins were 70 souls, and Joseph was in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers and that entire generation. The children of Israel were fruitful, teemed, increased, and became strong, very, very much so, and the land became filled with them. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know of Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people, the children of Israel, are more numerous and stronger than we. Come, let us outsmart it, lest it become numerous, and it may be that if a war will occur, it too may join our enemies and wage war against us and go up from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over it in order to afflict it with their burdens. It built storage cities for Pharaoh, Python, and Ramses. But as much as they would afflict it, so it would increase, and so it would spread out. And they became disgusted because of the children of Israel. The Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel with crushing hardness. They embittered their lives with hard work, with mortar and with bricks, and with every labor of the field. All their labors that they performed with them were with crushing harshness. So as I'm reading that, <clears throat> what I see, <laughs> what stood out to me was that, but as much as they would afflict it, so it would increase, and so it would spread out. Such is the body of believers to be, even if oppression comes. The body is to increase, multiply, spread out, and the kingdom, because light overcomes the darkness. <clears throat> now, within this story, I had planned to show a graphic that I've shown a few times that every time I show it, I say, next time I'm going to make this graphic look better. And so this time I made it look better. Well, actually, I didn't. I didn't, but you can't see it anyway, so you can't prove anything. So... <laughs> Right. This thing was magnificent. Right. But what it is, it laid out the timeline of the 430 years of Israel being uh, in a foreign land or in a land not their own. Because often, well, a lot of, of uh, scholars look at the statement of 430 years in Egypt as being actual years that Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Okay, but it wasn't actually 430 years that Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Rather, it was 430 years from the promise that um, 
Well, okay, so maybe I'll go see. I didn't have the verse written down here, but it's in Galatians 5, I think. <clears throat> maybe it's not. Somewhere in there. Okay. Somewhere in the New Testament, Paul says that it was 430, you know, that a, the promise or the, the covenant or uh, the covenant that came 430 years after the promise does not nullify the promise. Okay? So when, what promise was he talking about? He was talking about the promise that God gave to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land. Galatians 3. See, 3 kind of looks like 5 sometimes in your memory. What was the verse? 17. <laughs> 17, okay. Yeah, he says, what I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. This is referring back to God's promise to Abraham that his, that his offspring would inherit the land. And it was at that time that God made that promise that Abraham had a dream or had an encounter where God told him that his offspring would be enslaved 400 years in a land not their own, or they'd be strangers in a land not their own. Okay, that came when Abraham was 70 years old. 30 years later, Isaac was born to him, and that began the clock of 400 years that Abraham's offspring would be strangers in a land not their own because the land was not yet given to them. Okay, so you take the 30 years of waiting for the promised son to arrive, and then the 400 years of dwelling in a land not their own, that's the full span of the 430 years. Well, we know that Isaac then had Jacob, and then Jacob had sons, and then it wasn't until Jacob was 130 years old that he descended into Egypt. So the amount of time that Jacob and his sons were in the land of Egypt was 210 years, all right, and the enslavement did not begin right upon their arrival because the scripture here says that the Pharaoh who rose up who did not know Joseph rose up after all the brothers had died, okay? So if we were to look at the timeline, we would say that from the time that Jacob arrived in Egypt until the time that all of Joseph's brother or all of his offspring had died, that was 100 and almost 100 years. It's about 94 years, roughly. Okay, so now we're getting down to a much shorter time frame for the possible enslavement. And then, um, so anyway, so there's the idea that at most, I believe it was 100 and, at most it was uh, around a 116 years that they could have been enslaved, all right? Now, we don't know exactly when the enslavement started, but according to tradition, the back-breaking slavery began six years prior to Moses' birth, around the, around the time that Miriam was born. So that would put from the time of the back-breaking slavery until the Exodus was 86 years. Kind of shocking, right? Because we all think, oh, 400 years they were enslaved, but it was 86. Now, to me, that's significant. It's significant because from the time that the backbreaking slavery began until God began to raise up the Redeemer was six years. He 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 was hearing 
quickly and responding quickly. Now, six years is still not a short amount of time, right? And then they had to wait for the Redeemer to be raised up to the point of bringing the deliverance. But still, what I see in that is that even when we don't see it, He's working. Even when we don't feel it, He's working, right? So God is always on the move to bring redemption and to bring restoration. So that's encouraging. And we can always look at the, the verses that would support that at, at a later time. Um, and maybe I can share the graphic at a different time too. After I, maybe after I fix it up. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So, so here Joseph's forgotten. And a, he, he's forgotten again, right? Do you remember that? When he was forgotten in the, in the prison for two years, and now again he's forgotten, and this Pharaoh rises up who begins to afflict the children of Israel. But in all this, God takes Moses, brings him, or really brings him up miraculously, Okay. And Moses goes through ups and downs in his life. He goes from a place of royalty to being a lowly shepherd. And then from that place of being a lowly shepherd, God raises him back up and sends him as the redeemer of the, of the children of Israel. Okay, and the one who would bring them into a new level of covenant relationship with him. And of course, we know that this is an incredible picture of what we see through Yeshua who was royalty, who set aside his royalty and came down, right, was initially rejected by his brothers, went into exile, and is coming again, right? And this coming again, he will bring restoration and redemption. So it's really cool. You know, the, the par- anyway, we talked about over the past several weeks, we talked about all the parallels between uh, Yeshua and Joseph. And now we're going into the book of Exodus, and we're going to get to see all kinds of parallels between Yeshua and Moses, right? According to the sages, the, former rede- <clears throat> the latter Redeemer will be like the former Redeemer, right? Meaning that the Messiah will be like Moses. And so we will get to see a lot of pictures. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, about these over the, the coming weeks. But kind of sitting and, and resting here on this area that Pharaoh didn't know Joseph is where we'll start out. Because it, it's shocking when you think about a Pharaoh who would rise up who wouldn't know about Joseph, who rose up very shortly after Joseph died. Right? And Joseph was extremely important to the land of Egypt and of all the nations who surrounded it because it was through his, or the wisdom that God gave him and the, the effective rulership that he brought that people were saved from starvation and utter destruction. So, but Pharaoh rises up who didn't know Joseph. And when we look at what's going on today in America, we have a situation that can be looked at to be similar to the idea of a Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph being raised up, right? We have just recently the certification of a Biden-Harris administration, okay? And we can see that, the regi- that this regime that looks to be coming to the White House does not know Joseph. What do I mean by that? 
They do not know the righteousness of Joseph. They do not know the character of Joseph. They do not know who the true God is. Okay? And we see it played out in their behavior, in their actions. And in this, there is uh, corruption and wickedness and unrighteousness. Right? And so we can, we can say, oh, well, the Torah portion this week would line up with what we saw happen this week with that certification. And it does line up with, uh, with the Torah portion because, interestingly enough, Torah portions often line up with current events in the world, whether they happen to fall in the United States or in Israel or in other nations, right? And the Rambam states that the entire Torah is prophetic. Thank you, Diego. And, uh, yeah, anything that you text me can and will be used in any kind of a message. <laughs> And, uh, but I'll be nice, okay? But anyway, um, so God does align events with the portions. And what's interesting about all that is I can remember God telling me that in January of 2014. Because, I mean, I'd been studying the Word for a while before that. But in January of 14, the Lord told me that, uh, that the portions, it was important to read the portions because they would give insight into what was going on in the world. So then I... I went out and I bought a humash so that I could begin reading the portion and the commentaries. And, and so, anyway, so I, I see that connection here, and I understand where people are coming from when they say it. But I don't believe that that is really the part of this week's portion that ultimately ties to what's happening in America right now. Now, when we, when we look at what happened this week, wow, we see a lot of things to be discouraged by. We see chaos and confusion. We see schemes that are wicked. We see oppression, right? And with everything that we look at, we only see that getting, I mean, if you look at it in the physical, you would say it's getting worse and it's only going to get worse. But there's also a spiritual reality and there is a God who has not surrendered authority. A.Z. Tozer says, while it looks like everything is out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered authority. And our God has not surrendered authority. He is still on the throne and he is still working. His plans and purposes that he has decreed have not failed, though the world may look at them and say that they have failed. No, they have not. They still stand. They will still be upheld. They will be affirmed. And the destiny that God has created for America to stand as a light to the world, okay, not replacing Israel, but standing alongside Israel to be a light to the world, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, and to stand by Israel will still be established. You may not see how it's going to happen, but God sees how it's going to happen, and he's going to bring it about. Amen. Okay? Because God raises up a redeemer, and when he sends his redeemer, his redeemer will succeed. Okay? Donald Trump was sent by God, I believe, to bring some form of restoration and deliverance to America. 
There are many who would say that that is not the case and who would be very offended by what I'm saying right here today. But I'm going to speak according to what I believe the Lord has shown me, what He has told me, and what I believe to be true in this regard. Now, when I talk about Donald Trump, I'm not so much concerned about the individual and saying that he is the solution. I'm saying that God has, is using him as an instrument to bring about God's plans and purposes. And that when, when he was sent, he wasn't sent for one term. He was sent for two terms. Okay? Now, I can understand that a lot of people might say, Chris, you're crazy. Look at the world. Look at what's going on. And I understand. If I want to listen to that, I can agree totally with you. It looks like there's no hope in that regard. But I will not surrender my hope to what I see. I will hold to what I have heard from the Lord, and I will continue to contend for that and pray for it until I see that it is completely gone. And, and I don't see it completely gone. I don't even know, I really don't even know that if Biden is, is sworn in on the 20th, I still don't think it's over. Mm-hmm. That's right. I still don't think it's over. And I have a reason for that. But I won't necessarily go into that right now. But it goes back to a dream that I had right before the election. Regardless... God is working in things. He's raised up a redeemer. We're going to look through the portion and we're going to see why, well, we're going to see connections to this whole thing about two terms and where we are. All right, so within our portion today, when we read about what's happening in Egypt, Pharaoh is oppressing the children of Israel. And Pharaoh, if we were to look at this like on a macro level, right? Macro, uh, Pharaoh was the ruler over Egypt, which was essentially the ruler over the known world at the time. For one thing, all the wealth of the world was brought into Egypt to buy supplies, right? And so Pharaoh, was a, he can represent the ruler over all the world. And so when we think about that, about the ruler of the world, we can think even about not necessarily a specific leader, but rather dominions and principalities who hold sway over nations. And if we we think about that aspect about a pharaoh or rulers that are in position over America, these, uh, these forces have been at work long before this year. Okay, America is not entering into captivity to Pharaoh. America has already been in captivity to Pharaoh. Okay, a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph has already risen up, and God has already begun to move in deliverance from that Pharaoh. Okay, and I believe Trump was sent to help overthrow the Pharaoh, the wicked rulers that had held sway over America. I think there's more to come. Okay. Um, One other thing I wanted to say on this too. It's very key. This is not a Republican versus Democrat issue. It is not. There There are players and actors on both sides of that aisle, which is 
it's smoke and mirrors, okay? There are people on both sides of it who couldn't care less about America or the people they represent, okay? But there are people on both sides who do care about America and the people they represent. And I call them the patriots, okay? So I see this as being an issue of patriots versus globalists, okay? And so that's another reason why I wanna say it's not so much about Trump. It's not so much about Republicans. What I am concerned about is the destiny that God has created for America and how he brings about his purposes and his plans and the people that he uses to do it. Because he uses people who will take up that shovel, who will chase down that thing that is precious and seek after it, like Ben was saying, right? And who will stand with him in prayer. The thing is, we have to have eyes to see it and we have to reach for it, even though everything in the material world would suggest that it's impossible at this point. Moses' life actually began with a miracle, and God continued to bring about miracles until the deliverance was complete. The first miracle we'll talk about was shortly after his birth, which actually even, according to tradition, his birth was miraculous. Um, I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, for the sake of time, I don't even know how I'm going to make it through all of them. Okay, we're going to figure this out. we got two hours. we got two hours. <laughs> All right. If we have to carry over into fellowship lunch, we'll carry over into fellowship lunch. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'll let you eat, but I'll keep talking. You have to listen. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, uh, I don't know, Jerry, we might have to wait till next week for the Rosh Hodesh teaching. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. Exodus 2, verse 1 through 6. A man went from the house of Levi, and he took a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was good, and she hid him for three months. She could not hide him any longer, so she took for him a wicker basket and smeared it with clay and pitch. She placed the boy into it and placed it among the reeds at the bank of the river. His sister stationed herself at a distance to know what would be done with him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe by the river, and her maidens walked along the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her maidservant, and she took it. She opened it and saw him, the boy, and behold, a youth was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Okay, I'm going to stop there. What we know that happens is she then summons a wet nurse for him, who happens to be his mom, and the daughter of, and so Moses' mom nurses him until he's weaned, and then he goes and lives in Pharaoh's palace being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and she called him Moses, right? And so what happens here in the scripture, it says that she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her maidservant, and she took it. The word for maidservant here is ama, okay? Well, ama also, it, it, the simple translation is, yeah, maidservant, okay? But the sages, when they looked at this passage, they said, well, amah can also be, uh, it can also be your arm or your arm's length, okay? Get like a measure of units. And so they looked at the story and they said, well, well, they made, they made up a midrash about this. And they said that when she saw the basket, 
Her arm extended, and miraculously, it became long enough to reach the basket and pulled it back in. Right? And you might say, what? That's ridiculous. You mean her arm just became like 30 yards long, grabbed hold of the basket and brought it in? What are the sages talking about? Right? Well, I often say that the stories we share, the, midra- the midrashim, the, the midrashes that we talk about, aren't necessarily true. And that's not what we're trying to discern. Rather, what we're trying to say is, what do they teach us? Like last week, we talked about uh, when Joseph was bringing Jacob's coffin up for burial. And we, we talked about the story where Joseph's crown was hanging on the coffin and the, the attacking nations that were coming saw his crown and they put their crowns with his, okay? Which is a really cool story about the humility and the forgiveness that Joseph was demonstrating, just like Yeshua demonstrated, that brought in the nations rather than um, keeping them out. So if you didn't hear that story, uh, you can go back and listen to the, to the message from last week. I'm not going to tell you when it happened in the message. No, okay. Anyway, okay, so, but that was a beautiful story. Now with this, it's like a stretched arm, okay. Well, Rabbi David Foreman, uh, he, he does something called Aleph Beta, it's a great website, by the way. He gave a very good explanation of how Midrash works, right? Because he says, well, the plain and simple meaning of this passage is that she sent her maidservant. That's probably what happened. Right now, but the midrash says she her arm got super duper long. Well, the intent of the midrash was not to present an alternate possibility of how she got the basket. Rather, it was to give ins- further insight into what was actually taking place at the time she took in the basket. Okay, and he likened it unto you got a, you got the peshat, which is the plain and simple meaning, and then you've got the the midrash, which is uh, kind of a discussion around it. And he says the two work in concert to give fuller expression of what's taking place, much like if you were playing a piano. Your right hand does one aspect and the other, I think, does the harmony or something like that, okay? I, I'm not a music man. But, okay, but, but, but what happens is if you, if you play just the right hand, okay, you can, you can hear some things. If you do just the left, you hear something else. But when you bring them together, you have the fuller expression of the, of the song. So he was explaining that the Midrash is really something that comes alongside the Peshat to give deeper understanding. So as we go through weeks like today and weeks ahead, just remember, that's one of the things we're doing when we bring in these stories. Is we're getting fuller expression and understanding of, of what may have been going on. So okay, that's a little side thing there. But the story of Batya, which was the name of Pharaoh's daughter, extending her arm to bring the child to her, reflects a miracle that took place right there. The miracle was that she would knowingly save a Hebrew male child when her father had commanded that all male children had to be killed. Okay, so she was going in direct violation of her father's command, which would have been dangerous. And even more so was it a miracle that she would say that she would take this child and raise him as her own in the palace. And then even more so that this child that she raised as her own in the palace, that she would tell him that he was really 
a Hebrew and not an Egyptian. Because you think about it, that in itself is pretty wild. Okay, because for her, you know, there's an alternate possibility that Moses' mother could have told him, but it's unlikely that his mother would have told him for fear that it would have endangered his life and that she was only really with him until he was weaned. Okay, and that Pharaoh's daughter did not know that this wet nurse was really Moses' mother because she said, here, take the child, nurse him, and I'll pay you. Okay? So it's unlikely that it was any source other than Pharaoh's daughter that told Moses that he was a Hebrew. All of this is a miraculous upbringing that then, one, saves Moses' life, okay, and then puts him on a trajectory of coming forward as a redeemer of Israel. So his life was preserved because Pharaoh's daughter was willing to reach for that which was beyond her. And that's the idea of the extended arm. The basket and the child were out of her reach. It was not possible for her to raise this child by anything that she would see in the natural. But she said, no, I have compassion on this child and I'm going to do it. Right? So that's pretty cool. So she reached for what was impossible. And because she was willing to reach for what was impossible, God gave her the result, which was Moses' life being spared and being raised up in the house of Pharaoh. So God's hand was on her. He had raised her up for such a time as this to act in compassion and selflessness, to believe that her efforts, though daunting and foolish in the eyes of man, could do some good even in the midst of great darkness. Pharaoh had caused great darkness to fall on the children of Israel, but God was miraculously raising up a deliverer. So Moses first tried to act on his own to bring about the deliverance. In Exodus 2, verses 11 through 15, the scripture says, It happened in those days that Moses grew up and went out to his brethren and observed their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brethren. He turned this way and that and saw that there was no man. So he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day and behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to the wicked one, Why would you strike your fellow? And he replied, Who appointed you as a dignitary, a ruler, and a judge over us? Do you propose to murder me as you murdered the Egyptian? Moses was frightened, and he thought, Indeed, the matter is known. Pharaoh heard about this matter and sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from before Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat by a well. So Moses had to flee for his life. It didn't go so well, right? The timing was not uh, such that he should be either bringing the deliverance at that time or doing it in that method. And in this time, he was rejected by his brothers. They didn't accept him as one of their own, as evidenced by their words, like saying, who would set you to rule over us? And of course, this is a picture of Yeshua in his first coming, right, where he came to bring a deliverance, but he was rejected by his brothers. And just as Moses went into exile, Yeshua has gone into the heavens in exile, as it were, relative to the earth, but is going to be sent back at, the time, at God's perfect timing. He is coming back. So now Moses 
has been sent out into the wilderness. And it's in the, in the wilderness where he is encountered by God at the burning bush while he's out tending the flock. In Exodus 3, 7 through 10, the Lord said, I have indeed said this to Moses, I have, inde- I have in- indeed seen the affliction of my people that is in Egypt, and I have heard its outcry because of its taskmasters, for I have known of its sufferings. I have descended to rescue it from the hand of Egypt and to bring it up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And now behold, the outcry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And now go, and I shall dispatch you to Pharaoh, and you shall take my children, or take my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So here God has descended to rescue. He has heard their cry, and he has sent Moses to bring them out. And continuing in Exodus 3, verse 16 through 22, God tells him what he's to do. He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, Hashem, the God of your fathers, has appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have surely remembered you and what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I shall bring you up from the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will heed your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall come to the king of Egypt and say to him, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, happened upon us. And now, please, let us go on a three-day journey in the wilderness, and we shall bring offerings to the Lord our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go, except through a strong hand. I shall stretch out my hand, and I shall strike Egypt with all my wonders that I shall perform in its midst, and after that he will send you out. I shall grant this people favor in the eyes of Egypt, so that it will happen that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall request from her neighbor and from the one who lives in her house silver vessels, gold vessels and garments, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters, and you shall empty out Egypt." So he tells Moses that when he goes back, the leaders will accept him. So though he had been rejected by his brothers the first time, he will be received by his brothers the second time. Did I say that right? Rejected the first time, received the second time. Okay, and that he will accomplish the deliverance of the children of Israel from Pharaoh. Okay, so we go to Exodus 4.29. Moses has arrived on the scene with his brother Aaron. Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the children of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and he performed the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and they heard that the Lord had remembered the children of Israel, and that he saw their affliction, and they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. This is good. Things are going well. He came in, and he's accepted. Exodus 5, verse 1. Through five, uh, the scripture says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, So said the Lord, the God of Israel, Send out my people, that they may celebrate for me in the wilderness. Pharaoh replied, Who is Hashem, that I should heed his voice to send out Israel? I do not know Hashem, nor will I send out Israel. So they said, The God of the Hebrews happened upon us. Let us now go for a three-day journey in the wilderness, and we shall bring offerings to Hashem our God, lest he strike us dead with the plague or the sword. 
the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you disturb the people from its work? Go to your own burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now numerous, and you would have them cease from their burdens. So Pharaoh says no. And then according to the scriptures, Pharaoh increased the burden on the children of Israel. He took away the straw that they were given and required them to gather their own straw, yet he did not diminish the quota of bricks that were required to be made. So now the burdens of the children of Israel were amplified, multiplied, as a result of Moses coming and asking for this opportunity to go worship in the wilderness. So continuing on in Exodus 5, verse 13. The taskmaster's pressed, saying, Complete your work, the daily matter each day, as when there was straw. The foremen of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had appointed over them, were beaten, saying, Why did you not complete your requirements to make bricks as yesterday and before yesterday, even yesterday and even today? The foremen of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you do this to your servants? Straw is not given to your servants, yet they tell us, Make bricks. Behold, your servants are being beaten, and it is a sin for your people. He said, You are lazy, lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and bring offerings to Hashem. Now go to work. Straw will not be given to you, but you must provide the quota of bricks. The foreman of the children of Israel saw them in distress when they said, do not reduce your bricks, the daily matter, each day. They encountered Moses and Aaron standing opposite them as they left Pharaoh's presence. They said to them, may Hashem look upon you and judge, for you have made our very sin abhorrent in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants to place a sword in their hand to murder us. This is where we find ourselves today. In my opinion. The conservatives, the conservative patriots, or the patriots at all, have become even more odious in the eyes of Pharaoh in these days under Trump, especially as indicated in this last week. Okay? So, just as Moses, the first time he came to Pharaoh, leaves looking as if to have failed in his objective, right? Because the objective that he was given was that he would go and that he would be accepted by, his lead, by the leaders and that he would bring about this redemption. But here he's come and the first part looked to be good. But it ended very badly, even to the point where the leaders then rejected, those who had stood with him began to reject him and move away. And what do we see happening? Cabinet members are leaving Trump's administration. Congressmen and women who had stood with him have turned away as well because of the violence that has happened at the Capitol this week. And the supporters of Trump are being vilified as though they are all seditious and violent and a danger to our nation. Those who support him have become more odious in the eyes of Pharaoh. Now, the people who have backed away from Trump are not necessarily bad actors in the grand scheme of things, right? There are some who are, but there are others 
who look upon what is taking place and they do see reason to back away from him because they say, well, yeah, maybe he really did incite all these things and I don't want to be a part of that, you know? So we can't just look at uh, everything that we see and, and cast our judgments on, on, the, on the players in necessarily that regard. But anyway, so we, we have this issue where those who did support Trump have backed away. And there's great concern about what the days ahead have. And it looks dark. And in verse 22 of Exodus 5, Moses returns to the Lord and says, My Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why have you sent me? From the time I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he did evil to this people. But you did not rescue your people. This is the idea that, yeah, this first attempt was failed. I can't remember the amount of time between Moses' first attempt and when God sends him back, but I seem to have recalled something uh, according to tradition that was along the lines of six months. I don't know exactly what it was. Um, but there was a gap in time between the first attempt and him being sent back, which we'll read about next week. But what God says in Exodus 6.1, Hashem said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For through a strong hand will he send them out, and with a strong hand will he drive them from his land. Okay? God says, it looks like you failed. It looks like my word is not being fulfilled. But now you will see what I shall do to Pharaoh. Amen. Okay? That, I believe, is where we find what's going on today in the portion. Is that, yes, everything in the physical says that Trump's first, first term was a failure and that he accomplished nothing of bringing any kind of a deliverance, that things have only gotten worse. But God is not done with Trump. He's not done with America. And this week on uh, Tuesday morning, I had a dream. And in the dream, it, it had to do with uh, going to D.C. And, and some other, other things of that nature, and I was told not to go because it was uh, fraught with uh, opposition, okay? And in the dream, I saw Heather writing a word that the Lord was giving her, okay? And... and uh, I looked over her shoulder and I saw it and I saw she was still writing and I didn't want to read it in advance. But I saw portions of it and knew what was in it. And my name was in there like three times. And it was along the lines of everything that is happening right now is according to God's plan, Chris. All of this he holds in his hand, Chris. Right? And so within it, there was a message, of course, that all of this, God is still on the throne, right? He has not surrendered authority. And there's a comfort that he wants to declare to his people right now to say that even though you see chaos, even though there is confusion, you don't know what to think, what to believe. God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And he wants you to know it. Put your name in there. God is still in, in control, Diego. You know, and so... He's in control. He wants us to know that. He wants us to have confidence. 
and to, to partner with him in whatever lies ahead, good or bad, to go along with that. And in the dream, I saw the American flag. And the American flag was being looked upon with such reverence and pride and thankfulness that I, rec I recognized it as being not having been greater than since the revolutionary, after the Revolutionary War. Like to the point I was about to cry in the dream, just sensing what was coming for America. Amen. Okay? What is coming for America is a rebirth. It is a renewal. It is a freedom that will be recognized appreciated the thanksgiving being not to the flag but to our God who has delivered us and has brought about a new birth of freedom in this land. I don't know when that's coming, but I believe it's coming. Okay? Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I, I, I used to keep a lot of quotes on my, on my desk when I was younger. Um, I, I stumbled upon them the other day. Uh, going through an old footlocker. And one of the quotes was by H. H. E. Jansen. I have no idea who this guy is. But the quote was, the man who wins may have been counted out several times, but he didn't hear the referee. <laughs> he didn't hear the referee. He said, no, I know where the victory is, and I'm going to press on until I realize that victory. And that's what we're called to do is to believe in the victory of God. It's not so much about, you know, America, right? I believe, I mean, it's part of it, but I think that a restoration in America is a part of the restoration of God's kingdom. Funny, you know, it's funny to say that, right? In, in some aspect. But ultimately, God's going to bring about a redemption to all of the world. Where we are in the time frame of that redemption, I don't know. You know, have we already come to the point where every nation has risen up against Israel? Or is that to come in the future? Or is it right now? You know, I don't, I don't know exactly where we lie in it because I can look back and I can say under the previous administration, America was not a friend of Israel. So America has been opposed to Israel and currently America is not, but is a friend to Israel. So if I look at it in those terms, then I say there's actually been a redemption that has begun in America to bring back someone who would stand with Israel and that we can continue to do so. But it's not my job to point and say, here's exactly where we are on the time frame of history. Rather, it's to say, I know what is good and I will press for what is good, even if it looks beyond my reach. That's right. mm -hmm. so, so that's what we are to do. We are to stand firm. because God's word does not return void. Now, George Washington, I thought this was a great quote that I, I heard from uh, Dutch Sheets. George Washington, in August 27, seven, on August 27, 1776, said, the fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage of this army. Our cruel and unrelent, unrelenting enemy leaves us only the choice of brave resistance or the most abject submission. We have, therefore, to resolve to conquer or die. Now, when I speak of this, 
not so much talking about the physical world, right? Because we know that the, the war that we face, the battle we face, is not according to the flesh. It is according to the Spirit. And God calls us to stand and to fight with spiritual weapons of prayer and faith. In Ephesians 6, 10, the Scripture says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the battle is won. It is won in the heavens, and then it is manifest on the earth. Yeshua has already won the battle in the heavens for this kingdom. And now we are looking for the manifestation of the kingdom in full on the earth, but the battle has already been won. So we fight right now in the spirit according to these spiritual forces against the spiritual forces to bring about God's rule and reign even within our nation today. Okay? Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's what we're to do. We're to stand firm no matter what we see. We're to reach for that which appears to be on our, beyond our grasp and look to God to bring His miracle. He has always worked miracles and He is still the miracle worker. He is still the way maker and He will be with us in whatever we go through. Whatever the days ahead hold, we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and we stand strong in faith in Him, trusting that He will bring about His purposes and standing strong together. Because now you will see what Pharaoh will do. Part two, or part one has failed. Part two is coming. The duly elected president will be the president. Even after all is exposed, which is what we're praying for, we're praying for all wickedness to be exposed such that it can be brought under judgment such that righteousness and justice may be established under whatever leader God chooses to put in place. But part two is coming, okay? So when it's exposed, we shouldn't expect everything to be instantly fixed. The road ahead is not an easy road by any measure, okay? But it is for us to stand strong in the midst of it, to stand with one another to pray, to have confidence in God, even when things look despairing. Those things cannot keep us down because we have a victorious Savior who hears our prayers, who has compassion on us, and has promised to be with us. He will be with us. And when we think about these things, so when these things are exposed, there will be a great unveiling, right? It'll be a great unveiling Eyes that had been darkened will be opened. 
Light will overcome darkness. It'll be a process, though. There is healing and restoration that needs to take place. The divide that exists in this country does not just get healed because people see the truth. We have to start seeing each other as people again and have compassion on one another. We need to pray for healing and for restoration. And no matter what does happen in the days ahead, our course as believers does not change. We are still to pray for Israel, for America, for President Trump and our leaders, all of our leaders, and for the body of Messiah and for those who don't yet know him. We're to stand for righteousness and justice and be light even when the darkness is increasing. Because darkness increasing only leads up to a greater deliverance. Amen. Okay? If we do not continue to stand now, even in the face of discouragement, what will you do when the Antichrist presents himself, sets up the abomination of desolation in the temple, and proclaims himself to be God? Will you hang your head and say, well, it's over? Or will you stand in prayer? Will you stand firm and call for our deliverer and to continue to shine the light? Yes, that's what we will do. The day that we are in right now is not that day yet. It's coming. This is the training ground. This is the proving ground where your faith is tested, where your faith is built, it, built up such that you can stand even more strongly in the future. That's right. Okay? It's training. We're being built up. Don't waste this opportunity to stand and to trust in God and to pray diligently. Stand for righteousness. Speak the truth. Okay? This portion is actually one of hope. It begins with slavery and darkness. And it ends right here at the end like where it looks like maybe it's failed. But it, the portion doesn't end with Moses saying, why haven't you heard God? It ends with God saying, now look what I will do to Pharaoh. That's what it ends with. That's right. And next week, our Torah portion focuses on the beginning of God's judgments of the powers that were over the land of Egypt. And next week, I expect to see God bring judgment on the powers and rulers over this country yes. such that he can establish justice and righteousness. We look to God to do these things. We pray for God to do these things such that his word will be fulfilled, his purposes established. Every Saturday night, okay, so the Shabbat, our day of rest. On Friday night, we mark the beginning of, Sh of Shabbat. We make a distinction between the six days that have ended and the beginning of the day of rest, right? When we, when we light candles and we say the blessings and we have our Shabbat meals. When the Shabbat is over, we go into our period called Havdalah, which is the distinction or the separation. And during that time, of course, we say blessings, but... Um, we also say some prayers before we say the blessings. And part of the prayers that we say during the, uh, the time of making Havdalah is that God will uphold and establish all the intentions of those that are good regarding his people, the house of Israel. And we pray that he would nullify all the plans and intentions that are against his people, the house of Israel. That's what we're to continue in 
as we pr pray and cry out for God to make a distinction between those who are righteous and those who are wicked, between the plans that are his that are for good and the plans that are not his that are of the enemy that are for evil, that God will make a distinction, which is exactly what we see next week in, in the uh, judgments that come. God makes the distinction between Egypt and between his people. He makes a distinction between light and dark, and we'll get to talk a lot more about that next week. But right now, we partner with the Lord. We stand firm. We look to Him to bring about a deliverance. And we praise Him for His goodness. And that He has not yielded, that He has not been defeated. And I want to go back to that Tozer quote, if I can find it in my... Okay. While it looks like everything is out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered authority. He is our God. He's on the throne. And we give him thanks and praise. Lord, we love you. We exalt you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we thank you that you are on the throne and that you hold us in the palm of your hand. We cry out for your justice, for your righteousness. We ask you to strengthen us. Help us to hold strong and firm in the faith that we would pray, that we would pursue you, that we would, be, we would have eyes to see and that we would extend our arms to that which is beyond our reach, trusting in you to bring about the, the miracles that are in your heart and in your plans and purposes. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. All right. All right. Um, so this is, we are having our fellowship lunch for uh, the month of Shabbat. Uh, so Rosh Hodesh Shabbat starts Wednesday night on the 13th of January, 2021. So Shabbat is the 11th month of months. It is also the fifth month on the civil calendar. Um, its meaning, yeah, I've looked in some, some says it has no meaning. Uh, some say the meaning is a soft branch, a rod, or a staff, and that has a lot to do with its connection with the new year of trees, which we'll get, get into here in a little bit. The blessing for this month is a shift for new fruit. I love how this all just kind of lines up here. here. Um, and so a lot of areas of healing that are focused on in this month is letting go of the unproductive areas that you base your identity. Um, and so the actions needed for that is to seek wisdom and righteousness in your endeavors and to start new things. Yeah. Start something new, start something fresh. Um, so a lot of the values and character development that is focused on this is happiness or shalom and modesty. Uh, some of the themes that you'll see this month are trees, new growth, resurrection, living waters, fruit, and then the river of life. Um, so the notable dates in Shabbat is the 15th. The 15th is the new year for trees. It's, I guess, uh, two Bishavat. Did I say that correctly? All right, good. <laughs> um, so this festival originated from the fact that there had to be a division in the year for bringing in the ties for fruit. And since this is the season that is the earliest blooming trees in the land of Israel, uh, they, so let me rephrase that. This is the season that is the earliest blooming trees in the land of Israel that begin to bud. Because of that, the sages agreed that it would mark the official new year for fruit tithing. So there is a lot of correlation to trees and mankind that you can see in the scriptures. Um, like trees, 
mankind. We have a trunk, we have limbs, we have a seed, we grow roots, we produce fruit, we convert the light of God shining on us to produce more branches and more fruit. Just like the light shines on the trees to produce fruit, we as people, mankind, take the light of God and his son to produce branches and fruit for us. It's a good time to research and review biblical verses and parables that involve seeds and branches and leaves uh, and trees. And you can compare various parts of trees to people, to books, to the Torah scrolls, and even the menorah. Um, so for example, the wooden dowels on, on, upon which the Torah is rolled is called, I wrote this down, is Atzi Chaim. Eitz Chaim, there we go. All right, or another way of saying that, the trees of life. All right, this is keeping with the words in Proverbs 3.18, which says, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. Also, Aaron's rod that budded and the menorah were modeled after the almond tree. Um, and so there's just a lot of um, correlation between trees, mankind, um, and this month. So new growth, new fruit, rivers of life. Um, I also wanted to read Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and then I'll close this out um, in our uh, monthly prayer. Uh, Psalm 1 through 3 says this, and this is the New King James Version. I'm actually going to change the word law to Torah as I read this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the Torah of the Lord. And in his Torah, he meditates day and night. And what happens because of that? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So may it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.